What's up, man? What's up? Can you hear me? I got you loud and clear. Great. You hear me? Yep. Let me uh, alert the followers and subscribers. Let me send out one more tweet. Thanks for popping in here. I appreciate yeah. the. Uh, I appreciate the professionalism of coming right on at four o'clock. Yeah, no worries. Are you in SAC right now? I'm heading that way for the game. What, uh, I mean, are you feeling pre-game jitters for the return of Tyrese Halliburton, or is this another game in your busy slate on a hectic NBA calendar? It is not quite the Kevin Durant returns to Oklahoma City game that I once covered, but, <laughs> you know, maybe a maybe a, a two on a, that scale to ten, but uh, it's it's interesting. I tell you what, you know, there's more interesting games as a sack this year than there had been in the last few, that's for sure. And you started going out there more regularly, if I recall, during the pandemic, right? So this has been like a last two, three year thing of your uh your intimate knowledge of the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, yeah, if you want to say that. But yeah, um I'd say like kind of middle of the Luke Walton era into last year started I guess going and like kind of covering them more. I mean obviously I've been playing games at Golden One, but often it was covering the opponent. But yeah. And then the Mike Brown era, you know, I know Mike well from his time with the Warriors. So um kind of being a little bit, you know, uh, keep in touch with that a lot more. There you go. So with that background in mind, like, I don't know. I'm a believer from afar. You've seen. Yeah. But and it's funny being that, like, I'll be candid. I, I, I told this to the air. Like, I was not a big fan of his before this treat, honestly. Like, and, and there are definitely a lot of people in past regimes who – were skeptical, let's say, of this team's ultimate ceiling with De'Aaron Fox being its, you know, superstar as his contract suggests, right? So um, I, I've i been pleasantly surprised at how much I like what they're building, what they're doing, and how much I believe in it. So I, I say that to say, what say you? Yeah, I, I think there's two conversations there's like the bigger picture like should they be going down this path so obsessed about you know breaking the drought and you know kind of making a lot of these moves with uh i guess the short term in mind um you know in regards to the long term but as far as the short term goes i really do like what they've done to build this team to be the best version of like a De'Aaron Fox team. I think the coaching hire which we can get into checks a lot of the boxes um that has helped them, you know, this, you wrote about it today, you know, in depth, but you know, the Fox, the bonus pairing, um, theory, it, it had a good theory to it. And I think the theory is playing out about as well as it possibly could have. And then, you know, Monk, great value signing herder for a lottery protected first, uh, has, you know, he's one of the best three point shooters at the league. The Murray pick looks good. Davion Mitchell at nine. I mean, probably you would say, uh, kind of a low ceiling pick but at nine i mean he's a he's a solid third guard one of the better third guards in the league you'd probably say the rotation feels more filled out you know you get like the trey lyles on the bargain than the terrence davis like it does seem like a fuller 10-man rotation around fox which is kind of building fox up than it ever has and and he has come with a lot more focus and uh this is about as good as you could have seen it going yeah when i was there and we hung out a little bit you know, they played the Warriors, the Nets, yeah, um, and the Spurs. 
and every team that was there, there are obvious connections to up and down through that Kings organization. You mentioned the Mike Brown ties to Golden State. Obviously, you got to start really with San Antonio under Popovich. Um, and Brooklyn has Jack Vaughn, who's a disciple of the Spurs tree as well. So clearly there was were three teams that had a lot of people. And, and Kevin Durant with Brooklyn had some nice things to say about Mike, and they overlapped just like you did in Golden State. So people had a lot of nice things to say, which I wasn't surprised by. But, you know, as a reporter, my ear opened up a little bit, being that it seemed across the board, all these teams, all these visitors from coaches to players to executives – really were impressed by how well the the pieces all fit together, to your point. Yeah, it seems like there was a theory behind it. Uh, and maybe that hasn't been always the case, like in, <laughs> with the Kings in, in the past. Uh, but even the coaching hires, like, you know, I, I assume within the uh, interview process, Mike Brown mentioned the idea of, like, particularly offensively, because that's what's really shining for them, right, the offense. Even though Mike Brown is known – uh, you know, for his defensive reputation, still has a long way to go to solve that part. But offensively, having spent six years with the Warriors, he wanted to. He, he's he's gotten more anti pick and roll, hanging out with Steve Kerr, and wanting to have a big man and a, a flowing system. And his belief that the more guys that touch it, the more guys that are willing to play defense, and the happier your culture will be. And I think that. I, or I would assume in his, uh, you know, interview process was like Sabonis can play kind of like, you know, Draymond Green like offensive role as the big man who will lead your team and assists essentially, you know, which Sabonis currently does for the Kings. Um, you get Herder because part of the reason they went after Herder is because some of the stuff they saw he could do off the ball with movement, dribble handoffs. Yes. And they only saw that in glimpses in Atlanta because so much of that is pick and roll heavy. But I think it was smart to understand, hey, if you scale that up, that could really be, uh, you know, a good value addition. People don't know how good he can be in that in that realm. Malik Monk, shooter, can move off ball, all that stuff, and you're just seeing to be that kind of come to fruition. Definitely. And Trey Lyles, when I asked him about it, um, mentioned uh, compared him to Jokic in that sense as well. I believe that was in your conversation, your written conversation, <laughs> Sam Amick. Um, at the athletic, he kind of mentioned that that that's kind of the school of, of what Domas comes from. It's really Draymond, him, and Jokic who are the de facto centers who are kind of acting yeah. as vessels of their offense. Yeah, it's rare, but um, you know, and again, this is it's not just like oh, you have to have this un, you know unbelievably unique talent like a Jokic or a Draymond to do it, or even Sabonis. But the Warriors would do it with David West. They do it with Andrew Bogut. You know, and these are these are Mike Brown where he went to study in this warrior school for six years. Like he saw the way they love to use their centers. Looney does it too. You know, it's, it's not even just DHOs, but you know, you're, you're, you're high post and you're hitting David West used to do it all the time with Ian Clark back in like the early Durant, early Mike Brown days with the Warriors. Like they would just connect on backdoor cuts all the time, um, screening angles and, you know, knowing how to utilize that part of the offense. Um, I, Mike Brown has come to believe that that, allows you to succeed offensively and I they built a roster that makes sense in that way and we'll see you know even the best version of that the Curry Draymond version of that at times in the playoffs you know can be bogged down because teams get really physical it's what Cleveland did back in the day and um 
I, I'd probably be concerned if, like, let's say it's Kings-Grizzlies in a first-round series, like Memphis getting super physical. I thought you saw it when the Kings went and played the Grizzlies and they turned up the noise late in the fourth, and it was turnover, turnover, turnover. Like, I kind of do worry about how that offense would survive in a physical playoff environment, but the Kings are like, wait, we're in a physical playoff environment? Like, we'll take that. That's, that's check mark number one in what they're trying to do. Can you tell me, because you wrote a great story, I still remember this, and I, I just looked it up to get the date right. Uh, May 13th, 2017, can you tell me oh, wow. and tell our listeners about Mike Brown and his motorcycle, and do you know if he's still riding around North of California on, on two wheels? Yes, he is. Uh, he loves his Harley. Now, I, he, I don't think he does it that often. That's more of like a summertime joyride thing, but you know, he's kind of a... Got a little bit of a country country vibe to him. He's a country music fan. Um, he's got the Dickies. He wears Vans. You'll see a Vans sometimes on the sidelines. It's kind of a an eclectic mix. But, yeah, I remember him pulling for the story you're mentioning. That is when he had taken over for Steve Kerr because Kerr had the, the back issue that sidelined mm-hmm. him for a large chunk of the playoffs. Uh, and he was about to go into the West Finals as the head coach against Popovich uh, for that first Durant Warriors team. And we met at a Pete's Coffee uh, in, like, North Oakland. And, yeah, he rolled up, like, you know, blaring some country music on on a Harley. And it was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. This is not the picture that I think a lot of people have in mind of Mike Brown. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly stories of his stint in L.A. of veteran players like Matt Barnes and Kobe kind of you know, steamrolling him and it didn't go well around uh, the second time around in Cleveland. Um, so it is really impressive. And he, he knows what he's doing. It's, it's very impressive to me a, a, a bit as a pessimist, but you know, you got to take your hat off where, where, when it's due to how he's got the locals wrapped around his finger in, in the messages he's presenting and whatnot. And I, I do think the players have bought in, uh, and coming from the Warriors and going to f- five finals, I mean, I don't know how many finals he went to in his six years off the top of my head. I guess it was four. four. You would know better yeah. than me, yeah. Um, I mean, that that clearly, I mean, the the, the Rings culture that has permeated our, our discourse is, is, I think, somewhat sparked and related to the fact that it does mean everything in the league. Like it really, there's, there are a ton of people who from front office to coaches to players who will say at the end of the day, like, did we just compete? Did I do my job? Did I leave a good legacy? Blah, blah, blah. But like you either have a ring or you don't for a lot of people too. And I think coming from that organization where to this team that has not been in the playoffs for almost two decades now and you know, what you said about everyone touching the ball and wanting to lock in defensively. Doma said a similar thing to me, too. I didn't put it in the story. Um, I actually, like, cut it from the end of the – like, there's always a point when you're putting a quote in, at least for me, where, like, an editor told me a long time ago, you can – you can nine times out of ten, you can write something better than someone can say it off the top of their head. And really, like, the true poignant things someone says or what you, what you should put to, to use their voice and – um and and juice in their perspective but i i just sliced off at at the end to make the the piece roll quicker he said basically the same thing of like when everyone's touching it and you get a bucket that's when everyone feels like they all 
contributed to that bucket. And then it adds more energy going back onto the defensive side of the ball. I also, one thing Domas said to me that really stuck out to me was that building chemistry. Everyone thinks about, especially in this pick and roll dominant league, like you, like you've alluded to, everyone thinks about it in, in the perspective and, and through the, the, the lens of, uh, offensive chemistry and chemistry being built on that side of the ball where Domas was saying to me that a lot of what winning chemistry is, is is trust and continuity and familiarity on the defensive side of the ball. Well, the numbers aren't there. You, to me, I have seen, like, I, I don't remember exactly what point it was, but there was like a high trap on Steph in that Warriors game um, that went on the road at Memphis. Like I've seen glimpses of it. Have you seen enough where you're bullish that, and we're still early into this year, will there be a leveling out of this defense coming closer to ranking 20 than 30? I mean, they're trying. Like, the one thing is, you know, the person who most in charge is, like, obsessed with it, right? I mean, every time you see Mike Brown on the sidelines, like, he's first of all, he's taking those quick timeouts that I think at, at times can annoy players, but maybe they've gotten used to it and also – I think they understand like you know they're winning better than they have so they kind of have to buy in but you know he's taking those quick timeouts and learning the lessons did you see the moment with terrence davis in the phoenix game the other day yesterday or I, two days ago? I did not get to watch the sun's game unfortunately so, I, had a, I had a nightmare travel day and couldn't stay you, up for it it's all right you know you don't gotta watch all you know 82 of every game well i feel i feel like when you got something coming out on someone or a team you kind of have to know everything that's going on before you put a a, a semi-official stamp on your take on them before the world well, I'll say this: your story, you know, survived this small moment between Mike Brown and Terrence Davis. I feel, Thank I you. still think, you, <laughs> yeah, I still think you hit it just fine. Um, but in this in this Suns game, um, Terrence Davis, uh, you know, has a play where uh, somebody drives baseline. He's just he's not uh, rotating high enough to to try to help stop Aiton, uh, you know, in his rotation. Um, Aiton gets an easy dunk, and Mike Brown calls. Uh, the immediate timeout when he's mad at a specific mistake, he goes out and you can, anyone listening or, or Jake, you can, if you really care this deeply about it, but can go find the video where it's Mike Brown going out. He, he takes Terrence Davis during the timeout out to the paint and is showing him, this is where you were standing. And then he takes like two steps forward. Like this is where you should be standing. And then uh, uh, like five minutes later in the game, Terrence Davis is standing where Mike Brown had told him he needs to be on that rotation, takes the charge. And I believe he even took a second charge and wow. like, then Terrence Davis is coming over there high fiving each other. And it was like, it was just a very good, I guess, you know, it exemplified what he's trying to do. Like, you know, just these small details he's trying to clean up with, you know, the 10th player in the rotation, the eighth player in the rotation. And, and their hope is that over the course of this season, like you said, they're not trying to become top five defense in the league. They're trying to become the 17th best defense in the league. And, and, and if you do clean up enough of those mistakes, if you do get enough buy-in, particularly with how you know efficient they are offensively, that's a huge thing. Yeah, if they can maintain a top five offense, which, I mean, we're 20 games in the season now. I, I don't see any real reason why they're not going to be able to sustain this level of efficiency um, so long as injuries don't come into play. I mean, Kevin Herter crashed back to earth, and they're still – you know, they stumbled from second to tied for third. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I, I th- and everyone, everyone, opponent, opponents, um, you know, the guys who are doing advanced scouts have all said that, you know, that they've all been, 
like I started to believe it based off of what I was was hearing from people who know more than me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then you see it up up close and personal, and then it seems real. So the de- yeah. You know, one thing I've learned, and I mean, like, Steph Curry is the extreme example of this, but just the way the Warriors play over the years, it's a really bad offense to scout against in the regular season. You know, if you get it in the playoffs and you can study it on a daily basis and everyone, you know, you play against it in game one and then you have, like, you know, a day or two to, to you know, look at your mistakes on film, really talk about it, then you have a better chance of going up against it because you're used to it and you're thinking about it a lot in the regular season you're fo- you're facing mostly you know pick and roll dominant attacks not you know high energy high movement teams and you just get there on a Wednesday. sometimes it's a back-to-back or whatever and like you know you 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 take 20 minutes like all right well sabonis likes to do this you know watch herder on like you know the dho you're just not used to that you know ecosystem and yeah. those type of offenses in the regular season just can really stun teams particularly young teams sometimes the warriors go play these young teams and they had just have no idea what's going on around they're like what like they're back cutting why does the big man have the ball up top you know why is their star player you know we're playing steph curry we figure who's going to run pick and rolls why is he on the baseline why is he setting screens right now like it's just a weird regular season team to play against and i think the kings have that a little I was not prepared to say this on the show um, and in the spirit of the headline. Um, I hope people don't take this too seriously, but it made me watching him in person and against Golden State with the obvious absence of James Wiseman at the time, and it's still ongoing. It made me think about, and I don't know what the package could have been to have have competed with Halliburton when things got down to it. Because clearly, I mean, as time has passed, the, the the deal was very surprising in the moment. But as I've talked to more and more people and things have just come up casually in conversation, it seemed pretty clear Tyrese Halliburton was available for a, an all-star caliber player. Like, yeah. seemed pretty clear he was on the board for Ben Simmons from from the jump, which... Maybe that's uh, maybe that's a potential relief uh, for Kings fans and for the Kings front office for having it turned out to be Demontis Sabonis instead of Ben Simmons. But I do wonder. All that being said, I do wonder what Domas would have looked like in Golden State. He seems pretty tailor made to be in that offense. I mean, doing what he's doing in Sacramento with, I mean, Steph Curry. I mean, as, as good as the pieces are complimentary and as good as Kevin Herger is, I've always been a big fan of Malik Monk. I, I'm buying in on Fox. None of those guys are Steph and Clay. Yeah. Well, you know, he'd almost have to replace Draymond just because it's a little tough to see Domas and Draymond operating in, within the same offense, you know, because in a lot of ways, from a passing perspective, from a like hub perspective, they need to do the same things. Sabonis scores more, which is a big difference. But the other thing is a lot of what makes the Warriors so great is then Draymond goes on the other end and he's like, you know, the best defensive player of a decade, essentially. That is the big difference. <laughs> yes. Uh, where I think the Warriors, would, you know, would have some issues with, with Sabonis on the other end. I mean, I know they love to attack Sabonis in space when they, they face him. I mean, he's a target for them. So I'm sure they'd have those thoughts. But, yeah, I mean, with it, Steve Kerr, you know, loves – like he loved Bielitsa for, for this reason. You know, he kind of – he likes European bigs and, um, you know, the way they can pass and, you know, the flow of the game. The quotes you were mentioning earlier from Sabonis, they may as well come from Steve Kerr, right? That's his ethos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, the, the the fit, you know, definitely would have been good. As far as, like, the trade package, it's – 
it's tough. Well, no, yeah, I mean, the Pacers would have been interested in some of the Warriors younger. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about it. It seemed like something that at least could have been discussed. You know what I'm saying? There's so many things like, oh, Tobias Harris, for example. Like, it's, it's hard to find – like, it's really hard to find – deals that make sense for like sure this team would like this player but i mean very few deals actually get done in comparison to what actually gets talked about right being that it's just hard to get the actual mechanics done but that that seemed like there was clearly um just just thinking back to what's still on the board for golden state to play with like there 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 must have been an there, there would have been an opportunity yeah if if, if sides were aligned let's say yeah, and but I mean, especially last season, like the the Warriors weren't making that kind of move because they've leaned it, like criticize it or not, they've leaned into the two timeline plan. Like Joe Lacob is very interested in in having this next era of players, not mortgaging them for a Bradley Beal, for a Sabonis, for the now. Their belief was, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he likes twenty one. He likes yeah. twenty and twenty one. It seems at yeah. this point. Um, and also, you know, they were in a lot of ways his picks, the front office's picks. They were they're very invested in making Kaminga work, making Wiseman work. And and as far as like last deadline, they were never pulling the trigger on that move. Now we've moved I, forward, and it's getting a little bit, I think, a little bit more tenuous around the Warriors because the Wiseman isn't seeming to work. The Kaminga stuff was a little bit more. Uh, you felt a little bit more uneasy about it a few weeks ago. It looked very good in the last week or so. It looked great um, last night. Yeah, he did. Um, so well, maybe Kaminga, he's starting to get it. Does, this is just a small, stylistic, stupid thing to say. But what Kaminga does that I, I don't think anyone in the league does that I love is when he, he pretty much exclusively dunks with two hands, number one. And number two, he really doesn't touch the rim. He just kind of throws it down yeah. where it looks like he's playing on like an eight-foot nerf hoop that like what you would do in high school. But he's doing it in the NBA. It's pretty wild. Yeah, no. He from like just like a, a burst – fluidity on you know in his dunk attempts he's like a top eight athlete as far as like a wing in the league and i might be underselling him there but but what happened last night is he actually was like playing within the flow of how the warriors needed him to play and defending they had him guarding luca at times full court um which worked he rebounded well but i mean we don't need to get too deep into that yes <laughs> yeah but back, i mean back to your other conversation to me like you said any type of Sabonis pairing with the Warriors, like the timing just wasn't right. Yeah. I Fox is impressive. The way he's shooting the ball, the way he's getting to his spots and just kind of like there's there. I did watch the, the 10 minute extended highlights on YouTube of the Suns game. And uh, he had this one play at the, it was so simple, but like he basically had had, had a phone booth to do like a sidestep at the elbow in the fourth and just kind of pull it. And that's a shot that I remember. It was a shot that I remember thinking if, if I saw it a year, a year and a half ago, I would have thought, ugh, bad shot by Darren Fox. But now he's just taking what the defense gives him and, and he's scoring. And that's been a really impressive leap. But to me, the thing I, I was, I was most taken by up close and it was watching games from afar before I got to town what Domas is doing out in the perimeter in, in, in those handoff situations where he just drops it off behind it, his back to somebody or kind of does a like a little fake out and he allows a guy to boomerang around in the way they were coming originally. It, he, it really reminds me a lot, I mean, particularly and specifically with Kevin Herter of what Joel Embiid used to do with J.J. Redick. 
But the fact that that Sabonis can do it with doesn't matter who he can do it with Herder, he can do it with Monk, he can do it with Keegan Murray, and from my conversations with him, he he's thinking like to little minute details of the angle he needs to turn his body and where he needs to put the ball for each guy individually. It's just, if you really just watch him on offense for a couple minutes and don't pay attention to anybody else, it is crazy to see how all these other gears are kind of grinding and, and whirring around him. It's, it's impressive to watch. Yeah. And I think a key to that is he has to like trust the other person to know, you know, to, to, to feel that two man action, obviously reps goes along with that. But I remember chatting with him in Miami, both of them, Herder and, and Sabonis and, Herder mentioned a specific play in a preseason game in Phoenix where it was what you were talking about. It was like he was setting a screen, but instead of like, you know, just like straight up handing it off like a quarterback to a running back, he did the bounce pass behind him that he's, you know, he's like, look, that can really help the guard get out front. Like you can almost run into the pass, but you have to see it. You have to like understand that type of action and, and what we're trying to accomplish here. And he said the first time he tried it with Herder, he didn't say anything. He just tried it in a preseason game with Herder in Phoenix. And Herder just, you know, glided right into it. And then I believe, like, that drew the center way out to Herder. It was like a pocket pass to Sabonis, and he got, like, a layup or something like that. But he, I remember him being like, I knew right then, like, okay, this guy gets that type of action. I can trust him. Because he's like, you know, I've tried it with guards in the past. He didn't name any guards, but I'm sure we could, you know, go back over his history and see the type of guys he's talking <laughs> yeah. about. But he's like, you know, the guy doesn't see it, and then suddenly it bounces away, and I get a turnover. Right. Like I saw my list for a turnover. So I just think the way it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, but the way they built the team is kind of like, you know, it, it does help Sabonis because they're the type of players that can utilize what he does so well. I do know he liked playing with Victor Oladipo a lot. I don't know who he didn't like, but I knew he, he felt like he developed like a special synergy with, with Depot. So we can, we can make some guesses here. I don't know. Maybe a little Karis Levert in there. <laughs> Trying to think of some others, but um, Westbrook back in the day in Oklahoma City, he probably wasn't trying much of that as a rookie. Yeah, okay, yeah. maybe he was. Who knows? Yeah. Um. So, what the people want to know now at this stage of the conversation is obviously we get closer to December fifteenth. This team is not for all the good vibes for the seven game win streak. It was immediately followed by a three game losing streak. The postseason picture is so bunched up across the league. I mean, it's probably the biggest theme that comes up when I've been talking to people uh, this week. I'm sure, I'm sure, in your conversations as well, that just it's difficult to predict what's going to be coming on the pipeline here. In that, every team kind of thinks they're they're one stretch of winning six or seven games, or you know, going on a little streak where they could pull pull away from the pack and and, and cement themselves somewhere in this playoff picture whether it's the Lakers coming up from the play-in to really showing that they are a playoff team that they believe they are, or, you know, someone in the East rising up and establishing themselves as a third team behind um, Milwaukee and Boston. We're seeing Phoenix do it a bit right now, taking charge into that, that one spot at the West. So for a team like SAC, that, that is, you know, pretty much 500 at this point. Um, and, and they were, 0-4 to start. They had two games. I mean, their record could be way different. So there is certainly reason to believe that they are better than the record would suggest and that they are right in the mix for that sixth spot or maybe even a bit higher. I'm not saying they're a runaway Western Conference championship contender, but I have been surprised how many people from opposing teams 
are buying in on what they're doing and think they've got a shot to be out of the plan altogether and, and get that sixth spot. So what do you think the front office here is looking at in terms of how to fine tune this and really get them over the, over the finish line of, of making this, this, this uh, triumphant post postseason return? Yes. Um, well, I think part of the reason people believe in them a bit more is like, you know, the offense, just like, you know, every metric signals like, oh, this is a for real offense. And even some of the defensive metrics signal like they've been a little bit unlucky. Right. You know, they're not about to just vault up the, the, the standings, but three point defense. I think they allow or at least this is how it was like maybe a week ago or so the least amount of like uncontested threes. But in those uncontested threes, teams are shooting like crazy. So I, apparently the metrics really signal that the Kings might be a legitimate, you know, mid-tier playoff type team. Um, the one thing that they, I think they have going for them as we head towards transaction season, as you know, is like their mission and objective is pretty clear and it won't be changing. Even if they go, you know, let's say they lose five of their next seven um, it's not like Utah. They're not going to be like, all right, now maybe it might be time to pivot out of this and, you know, look for trade partners. Like, no, they are all in on, even if it's just the play and like making the plan where as you get later in the season, as it gets to March, um, you know, and, 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 you know, teams got their rosters or sit guys like Sacramento won't be doing that. So that should lead to, you know, probably a little handful more wins than, than maybe you normally expect. Um, I don't think they have like a big move ahead of them. To me, the Big moves have, in a sense, already been made. I mean, they do have, you, you know, they, they traded the protected first for Herder. You, if you are the Kings, I don't think you want to put a lot of your future first on the table. I know, obviously, you know, it's, it's an unsettled future with Monty McNair's front office. So there a is of, a desire. A lot of people in the league shouting out that Monty deserves an extension. That's that's, yeah. that's just happening. It's, it, it, it is the truth. Yeah. So, I mean... I get, you know, if, if you feel an uncertain future, sometimes there's more motive like, hey, look, these first round picks might not be my first round picks. Let's, you know, let's use these bullets. But I just, I don't, I don't see a scenario where they go all in on something towards the deadline. But you you could help maybe around the fringes. But the truth is, I, I kind of like their rotation. My bigger question long term is like, are there, is there one A and one B type players, Fox and Sabonis? Like, don't profile to me as like West finalists, like one twos, like, you know, final four type teams in the league. But I think their 10 man, uh, maybe I'm just feeling a little too optimistic, but I feel like their 10 man rotation, like that, that could be a, a six seed maybe, but probably playing. And the sense I got from being around the team, feel like if that's what they are, if they're a perennial six seed, if they're what the Portland trailblazers have been under Damon Lillard, then this will be a smashing success. If they're able to just, be in the postseason year after year after year as these two guys and with Keegan and with Herder and with Monk for now. I mean, all those guys are under contract for a bit here. Obviously, Domas goes into free agency in 2024, but I, I, I really can't imagine a scenario where if he doesn't, if he's offered max money, he's going to turn it down, which I also would think that the general logic of how uh, small markets operate and, and what the Kings gave up to get him. I, I'd be shocked if that, if that wasn't extended at this point, barring some crazy turn of events and unforeseen circumstances. Um, so I don't know if there's like a Rashawn Holmes move that can happen on the edges here where I mean, he was basically, he was a starting center a couple of years ago. Now he's not playing at all. 
I know he's making like twelve million or you know right around there. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. Like the Clippers have been long mentioned, not, well at least to me, about a, a want for like a switchy backup big, like a move. I, I, I'm just. And that's just me just putting A and B together. I'm not saying there's been any conversations there. There might have been. I, I just I I haven't heard that yet. But that type of move for another wing piece, I could see. Um, but yeah, they need wing defense. That's become clear. You've seen the last few games, like in Boston, he put Akpala, Casey Akpala, on Tatum because Tatum was kind of burning them. You saw it with Booker the other night. Paul George went for 40-something on him. I mean, yeah. you don't want to have to rely on Casey Akpala, but there are times you could tell Mike Brown feels like he needs to put him in the game because they don't have a wing defender. So if you could upgrade, get a better wing defender who can still provide a little bit of offensive juice, basically, could you clone Harrison Barnes and get another version of him on the cheap? That would help. But, um, yeah, that's what they're missing. Yeah, that's kind of the one thing I, I am forecasting on the horizon. So, before we go, we got one call from our, our regular listener, Charlie Saturday. Charlie, what's going what's on? What's going on, fellas? I know you were looking ahead, but Jake, between your uh, your Golden State Sabonis hypothetical and then Anthony mentioning Kerr's fondness for European bigs, it got me thinking about another European big who played a, a big role in Sacramento, uh, Vladi Divac. Uh, a few years back, Tim McMahon of ESPN said that the reason Vlade passed on Luka Doncic was because he wasn't a fan of Luka's dad. And then, like, Vlade came out and staged this phone call with Mr. Doncic to discredit that, which seemed maybe like a little bit of a Vlade doth protest too much situation. But I'll just ask you guys, like, <laughs> if, if Luka's dad is just a random Serbian dude who – Vlade had never met. Would Doncic be a king right now? I mean, I know it wouldn't be the exact same roster, but thinking about Luca with this squad would be pretty tantalizing. And like, how much better their two through ten is than than Dallas right now? Thanks, Charles. I mean, to be honest, I, I I don't know. The only thing I really heard that consistently that I that I believe. I mean, there's many factors that go into not picking a player, picking someone over another. So it's not just one thing typically. Um, so what straw broke the camel's back? I can't say for certain. One thing I know for sure is they were afraid of, of the Luca Fox fit together. Yeah. That, that, that was, that was a real consistent. Is that what you're going to say, Anthony? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's generally the, what I've heard on that is just like, it was more about, well, we've got Fox. He's kind of settled in as like the long-term piece and, um, Bagley fits like what he needs is like a potential pick and roll partner. In a lot of ways, what they've kind of done with like flipping Halliburton for Sabonis, it was like the early and very, very destructive version of that going Bagley over, over Luca. But yeah, that seems that it seemed more basketball fit than like, you know, beef between, you know, I guess, uh, whatever generation, what, what gen would they be? Generation Z or something. Yeah. And I know they were also, really really high on Michael Porter which is an interesting I mean they were never going to take him too but I remember talking to someone who was in their like psych department or whatever I met them randomly at, a, at the Warriors pickup run uh in summer league and he told me that they, they always I mean a lot of teams do like a mental aptitude test or personality test with players during their workouts and whatever the metrics was I don't even know what the hell this means but Michael Porter 
graded out for the Kings as like the best basketball mind, like NBA player personality on their scale. And like, that was a huge apparent reason why they were very high on him. So I don't know, just, I love those little sliding doors moments in the NBA draft and guys that could have gone certain places. Yeah. And in the realm of that will be this, a bonus Halliburton trade and, you know, Keegan Murray and Benedict Matherin can be like a little appetizer version of that tonight because, you know, yeah. Murray goes four, Matherin goes six uh, to, you know, preview what I think is an interesting game in the NBA tonight. There you go. There you go. Anything you want to ask me? Anything you want to plug before you get out of here? The floor is yours. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. You can just follow my stuff on The Athletic, you know. Um, and no, I appreciate you having me on. You got it, man. Enjoying reading you from afar, and I hope to see you down the road sometime soon. Yes, sir. I will be in uh, New York in a few weeks. Warriors are facing the Knicks and the Nets. So That is, unfortunately, when the showcase is happening. And ah. without fail, every year for Thanksgiving and for showcase, there is a Western Conference team that comes to New York for a back-to-back against the Knicks and the Nets. And this year, it was Portland for Thanksgiving and Golden State for showcase so i will not yeah. be seeing you then but that that was part of why i wanted to go out um i had to sack that week because the, the warriors were there and i knew i weren't gonna i wasn't gonna see them so gotcha. all right yeah thanks everybody we will be back sometime soon take care see ya